This week on Waxing the Porpoise, G-Baby and the usual suspect Steve welcome a very special guest, the astutely articulate and affable arbiter of authenticity, Rand Diesel from the Straight Chilling Podcast, to discuss a midnight fever dream psycho meets LSD tableau Santa Sangre from 1989. Join us as we ask the question, is it a good idea to give the residents of an asylum cocaine and prostitutes, or is it a great idea? From visuals so psychedelic you might think you've dropped acid, to mommy issues that would make even Freud uncomfortable, this gringo circus runs the gamut. Let's wax this armless porpoise. Chase, don't do that. Welcome to Waxing the Porpoise. We are back again here on episode 50, brought together to discuss 1989's Santa Sangre. This is one I have never seen, I've always wanted to see, so this is a first time watch for me, breaking format a little bit. Before we get into it, this evening you have, as always, myself, Jim G. Baby. Operator with an emergency breakthrough from your sister. Samson and Sheila, (laughs) Mama failed, shut up, bitch! (laughs) <laughs> and of course, to my virtual right, we have the usual suspect, Steve. He's a pedantic, pontificating, pretentious bastard, a belligerent old fart, a worthless, steaming pile of cow dung. Figuratively speaking. How's it going, man? I'd have got him 10. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany's! Doing good, man. Good to see you. I can't believe I haven't pulled that one out earlier. And. We have the distinct honor and pleasure this evening of rounding out the Straight Chilling crew. We finally caught them all. One third of the Straight Chilling crew. We are pleased and honored to have Rand Diesel. I came to pay my respects to my godfather and extend my best wishes for his recovery, which I hope will be swift and painless. How's it going, man? (laughs) It's great. That's a terrific clip that is very ominous for me. Yeah. Uh, don't read too far into it. It was just like one of the most, the more obscure and one of my favorite ones from the return that I could think of. So I, I like to put a cherry on top for and tailor it to whoever we have coming on to join us. I so. love it, man. Thank Welcome. you very much. I'm excited. I've been uh, meaning to get my porpoise waxed and I've heard it's a very liberating experience. Uh, you know, let's get me cleaned up. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you be the judge by the time we, uh, we get this thing waxed off. Uh, All right wax on yeah so randy do you want to just preface where you're from real quick before we get into it well i was born no i'm not gonna do that um (laughs) yeah so uh i am a co-host on the street chilling podcast if i have any claim to fame i guess it's that and (laughs) man it's a it's a pretty lame one but um that's our uh our horror movie podcast me and two of my buds who have been on this podcast once before each maybe maybe more than once i'm not sure one each yeah one each okay cool so, uh, yeah, we do horror movie reviews. We do it weekly. We've been doing it for too many goddamn years now. Uh, <laughs> we're going deep into the 400s, uh, an episode count at this point. So wow. it's a long running thing. And um, you can find us at uh, straightchillingpodcast.com or in as they in any of the quote unquote podcatchers you might use where the Straight Chilling Podcast. Can't miss it. Word. Yeah. I mean, everyone who's listening to this show knows 
about you guys and I've sung your praises and they, they know where to find you for sure. But nonetheless, it's uh, last but not least, I'm super stoked to have you on, particularly for this kind of film and for this film specifically after watching it. Uh, I think this will be kind of a good fit with you kind of being the uh, the scholar of straight chilling and me just liking wacky shit and Steve being our resident fish out of water is the way I described <laughs> it. I figured this would be like uh, the perfect melting pot for this movie. It's just to kind of throw it against the wall and see what sticks. So uh, yeah, uh, here we are. I, I hope I can uh, live up to that expectation because my God, this is a high bar. It's, uh, it's not a movie that's going to be... Uh, without its wacky bullshit to talk about. I'll tell you that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and Randy's being modest. So don't, we're, we're in good company. So I, I, I know we'll have a good time and, and we'll have some, uh, we'll, I, I, we're not going to break any new ground on reviewing this, but uh, I'm excited to get into it nonetheless. So Steve, right out of the gate, what'd you think of this one? And can I guess real quick? I'm going to say, <sighs> In my heart of hearts, I'm going to say you actually liked this film. Yeah, I yes did like no. it. Yeah, definitely. Damn, yes. I nice. don't know. All right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it like a mass appeal. You know, I don't. I don't think this would be one that I would tell the old lady. Like, oh yeah, you, you should have watched this one with me. But uh, yeah. it definitely struck a lot of my my chords of the things that I enjoy. <laughs> It's fucking nice. weird. <laughs> it is weird as shit, man. And I was on the fence. There was a couple parts. I was like, uh, I think I think we may have lost Steve around here. But <laughs> I was like 75, 25 rooting that you were going to like it. So, And yeah, this isn't like a, this is, I mean, it sounds kind of well, trite, but it's like a piece of moving art. It's not really like a film that you can like kick back and enjoy in a standard movie going. Yeah. I mean, it. It's not outside the realm of possibility that if the ending had been a little different, that it could have lost me. Because I, I think, I think the ending really brought it together, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Because I just kept wondering, like, where is this going? This yeah. could, this could be a total abomination if it ends in some, you know, heady, like weird, unclear. But I, I kind of like the way they brought everything, wrapped it all up, and yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I yeah, like that's I was one thing. I was actually for two hours straight. But, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was surprised at like for as abstract as it is, it did kind of like tie things up in a somewhat linear way at the end, which is kind of strange. But um, yeah, I guess in hindsight, I should have figured. Yeah, with that kind of a a wrap up to it, that I know that's one thing you you're definitely not one that that likes the uh, it's left up to the the audience to decide or interpretation, <laughs> even though I think there's still room for that in this flick too, but um, cool. Have you, had you ever heard anything about this oh. before? This is complete blind hundred percent. No. Nope. Okay. Zero. Uh, onto our guest, uh, Randu. I'm sure you were familiar with this one, but you had never seen this either. No, actually this is, this experience has been my introduction to Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky? I want to say, always want to say Jodorowsky, but that's not right. Yeah. Um, I think your first pronunciation was correct, the most Jodorowsky. correct, but I'm sure we'll go back and forth on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was my introduction, and, and I only really knew the name. I honestly, name may be the cover of, you know, whatever poster edition is on streaming services I might have seen around. And um, I had the impression that it was artsy bullshit which 
is my thing, I guess. It's <laughs> how, <that's> how, <laughs> how, how I'm in, in, inducted into podcasts with that knowledge. So, um, yeah, so I think it, it came, everything was a shock to me with this one. And not just because it's kind of that kind of movie, but because I had no basis of knowledge going in. Yeah, that's the same for me too. I think my, I've, I heard the name thrown around kind of like, uh, you know, in the same vein as like you hear Argento and Fulci, like, I I don't think those are straight one-to-ones, but like for me, like my level of, uh, awareness is kind of where I kind of grouped that in. Cause I'm not, I've only seen like the greatest hits of those directors, like crystal plumage and, uh, Suspiria, very like, like their top level stuff. Um, and actually I think my first introduction to Jodorowsky was, I don't know how, like I th- they just did a, um, like a, uh, a Dune documentary about, I think it was like the lost Dune or something like that, or Jodorowsky's Dune, I think is the documentary. And me just like not knowing anything about that. I saw like the cover art for it. And I was like, that looks rad. And I watched it and it was like, it was super weird documentary first of all, but, um, that was my intro to him and like, kind of like the, an outsider looking in at this like super weird, you know, avant-garde director and like the things that he was going to do with Dune are super interesting. And I have, I saved that kind of for the end and the trivia and about this director more, but yeah, that was my only, that's the only thing I knew about this guy. And I had heard like the, the, the name Sana Sangre and like, like the top level, a mom with no arms, the son is using the <laughs> arms, like, as like by proxy and like I saw the cover art and I was like, that looks pretty wild. Looks like it'd be up Randu's alley. And and I think oh, yeah. this would be cool to talk about. So big fan of the limbless. Um, <laughs> I, it's interesting that you brought up the Dune thing because actually now that like, I was just thinking to myself, actually that's how I know Jodorowsky as well is not by have even having watched that, but because my dork ass has been on the <laughs> David Lynch subreddit before and on the Twin Peaks subreddit before. And so Dune comes up and so yeah. Jodorowsky's Dune comes up and they treat it very derisively, as I recall. So I was like, I don't know, I guess it's just never got made. And people think it's a wank off fest, but they like the David Lynch Dune. So I don't know what they're complaining about exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the documentary. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of controversy behind it and like what, what he wanted to do with it. But um, to then see what happened with Lynch's, I mean, I'm one of the kind of like, I have no stakes in it. I'm fine with uh, Lynch's Dune. I saw it at a young age. So I kind of group it in with like Willow and shit like that. Like it was just a funky, fantastical kind of sci-fi fantasy growing up with cool practical effects now apparently is those kind of dark 80s adventure movies have you seen that ai art like all the mid-journey stuff all looks like that shit it all looks like blade runner meets i don't know fucking uh american gladiators (laughs) like (laughs) really bizarre shit yeah I just actually stumbled, huge side tangent. I just stumbled across this dude that makes shit that uh, is like in the vein of the Too Many Cooks, but oh, yeah. it's like uh, an even funkier, weirder parallel version of that. And so he has all these slides, and it's like, you know, like introducing Buster the Cat, but it's like this big fucking like 
grotesque like bull creature but he's sitting down with like a family of four in like you know like a 90s suburban household sitcom is like this this context of it all and it just gets weirder and weirder and like you see the problem with the hands like people having like nine digits on one hand it's it's pretty funky but it's super cool to look at too (laughs) at times um cool so yeah, this is a first time watch for all of us. And did you dig it? I did. I, I, I similarly to it sounds like you guys or it sounds like at least to Steve, I had sort of like a roundabout journey to deciding that I liked it, and the ending also kind of clinched it for me. I was like, okay, so like, like it it, get, it it made it easier to contextualize some of the weirdness. And what was hard about this movie is that it's sort of like. It's the it's the opposite of handholdy. You're not going to get your hand held on any level with this movie. Sometimes, <laughs> at least for like the first maybe hour of the movie, it's very like it feels like you're like if you're if you're imagining the beats of the movie as like you know rocks in a pond that you're skipping to. It's like you skip across several at once. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's yeah. like whoa, what's the context for the what? Who the fuck is this? Like you just have to piece it together as you go, and not in a whodunit kind of way. In a I'm so fucking confused kind of way. Yeah, and there's a there's pretty big swaths in that first hour with very minimal like dialogue so that you have an even less to go off. Even if it was super abstract and people were talking and there was like plot stuff going on. Uh, this is very bare bones. It's like, it's almost like set pieces, like of different, like, like of art and you're kind of going your way. I mean, I would, I'll be lying if I didn't say if I weren't doing this for the podcast, if I just threw it on just to watch it for the first time, Probably by the 45 minute mark, if it didn't start to pick up a little bit, I I could see myself just giving up on it, maybe trying to get another day. But I'm glad I pushed through because, and not to jump on the bandwagon, but I think the the third act definitely uh, clinched it for me in liking this one too. So sounds like a an enjoyable yet weird ass flick for all <laughs> of us in the end. It's a it's a big pill, but it's worth it's worth swallowing. I think. Yeah, Steve. I mean, because there there were so many parts where I found myself just being confused, and then kind of like you're talking about later, it's all sort of cleared up. Where it isn't just one of those movies that's going over the top to confuse you just for the sake of like, oh, isn't this so crazy? And we're gonna throw you this way and then that way. It's like all of the confusion makes sense by the end of it. So uh, I enjoyed that, and I didn't I didn't feel like they were just trying to, you know kick up a bunch of dust and confuse you for, for no other reason than, than just because right on. Um, I guess easing into this, we won't do like a full synopsis, but I thought like, uh, the beginning we start with a flash forward or, or present day rather we start the movie. And I thought it was like, it was pretty weird the way we start and automatically there's a guy on top of like the fucking male nudity. Yeah. That <laughs> opening. And he's on, He's perched upon this like perfect tree that's placed in this like it looks like an uh, an asylum type scenario, and he's like screeching like a bird. So I'm like, okay, he thinks he's a bird. Um, and they offer him food like normal food, and he's like, nah. And then there's just like a big salmon or a bass, and he's like, Rah! and fucking dives down. I was like, 
dude, what are we See, in for here? That's fascinating because I, I like until you, I just watched this yesterday. So like I, I finished it this morning, started it yesterday. So it's very fresh for me. I did not even re- make the bird connection, but that makes a lot of sense considering like the tattoo situation and all that stuff. There's a lot of bird symbols in this. I, I just never really pieced that together. Yeah. And his name's Phoenix. And so he like yeah. thought he was a fuck. That's what I thought. Like at the beginning, like, well, after watching it and then seeing like the tattoo and all that kind of stuff phoenix like oh he thinks he's a bird he he reverted into some kind of mental chrysalis like to protect his psyche that i'm a bird but um and it's it's spelled like think phoenix tx not pahonix um yeah yeah it's the way he spells it which i think is pretty rad spelling but uh this guy's actually uh jodorowsky's one of his sons is uh plays that role and then the other the younger version of him is his yet another son of his who is younger so kind of I, I also just was looking at the imdb and the pimp is also either it's somebody else jodorowsky i don't know if it's an older son or if it's a brother or cousin what but yeah i saw pimp. that too i i almost clicked on it but i had already gone down such a actor rabbit hole on this film that i was like all right i need to well i mean I need to, to be fair it it's in. like it's like Smith or Jones. You just hear that name all the time. So it could oh just be. Yeah. <laughs> the census guy must be pulling his fucking hair out with this name. Um, I guess, yeah, some interesting stuff too about the creation of this. So the, uh, and a, and a fun quote to begin that I found was, uh, so I guess, uh, so Dario Argento's brother, Claudio Argento, uh, is co-wrote this with Jodorowsky and he's the, he, I guess he was the, the inspiration or like the thrust they were at Cannes film festival in like the early 70s or mid 70s um and he had the idea for it and then so some years later they finally got together to make it and right before uh Jodorowsky was about to start making Sound of Sangre I guess he there was a, a pretty big gap in his directorial career um and a journalist at Cannes that year in like 87 uh said um that he was rusty and Jodorowsky said, I said, yes, but a rusty knife is twice as deadly because not only can it cut you, it can poison you because of the rust. So don't get any ideas. That's some that fucking pretty... Dwight Schrute bullshit. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love artist types. Like I watched this like five minute interview with Robert, Roberto Leone, who's a, a co-writer on this as well. And he was telling about how it got, how it got going for him. And Jodorowsky like flew him out. He read the script and he liked it. And he's like, "I'm gonna fly you out, just the writer. Come on out here. I want to get get to know you." And apparently, he was wearing all purple down to his shoes and socks. And it's like, "We're going to a bar." And then he took them like he already knew where he was gonna take him. And he's like, he sits him down. And he's like, "Did you know that you're a thief?" And the guy's like, "I what do, what do you mean? I don't understand." He's like. He's like, when did you come up with this idea? And he tells him, like, oh, it was in March, March like 20th or something. I finished it up. And he's like, ah, that was the night that I was visited by the ghost, but I was sleeping, so it came to you instead. That's my idea. <laughs> and, like, oh, they no. have a big laugh, apparently. I'm like, that is fucking bananas bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Damn. This guy's even more of a card than I thought. Damn. I love it. I kind of want to hang out with this guy. Yeah. Maybe. It sounds like it, <laughs> I, based on some other stuff, some other quotes from him too. Like he, he sounds like a, a real character for sure. Um, cool. All right. So yeah, I guess uh, it's hard not to 
uh, touch on like right out of the gate. I was getting like some Jalo vibes from this a little bit. Um, it kind of, and I think when the mom stuff starts coming in too, you can't help but think of like psycho kind of, uh, on drugs. And it's funny too. the, uh, he, what did he say? One of his quotes was he wanted this to feel, he wanted this film to mimic being on acid without being on acid. That's a direct quote from Jodorowsky too. And I say mission accomplished at least. In some it part. reminded me of, uh, like if you take too much cough medicine, that's what I kept thinking of. Like this is oh. making my skin crawl a little bit, <laughs> but I know that the words tripping. fever dream are thrown around a lot, but that does seem about the right speed. I don't know what acids like. So yeah, or LSD I, yeah or I've never it done it myself. Yeah. Me neither. I have done so. mushrooms and I've heard, I've heard some anecdotes that, uh, acid's just like a dirtier, more kind of gritty version of that. That's a little bit more intense. So, uh, who knows your mileage? I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. I've heard so many people say, Oh, it's life changing. You got to do it at least once. And then for every one of those I hear, I hear, you know, like people that like get fried like mm-hmm. for life or it like fucks you up just one time. So I'm like, yeah, that's kind of why I still have glasses and I'm not going to do the laser surgery. Cause I didn't, I just, <laughs> if there's a chance, like <laughs> I could go blind. I'm not, well, yeah, not for it. I, I, I just, I'm just terrified to do all that stuff. But I, I mean, my partner Beck and I have had this discussion already that once we hit like 85, all systems go. We're fucking trying everything. And yeah. by then it'll probably be like, you know, round, round at the corner of CVS or whatever. Um, yeah, seriously, the way things are going, shit. I never would have pictured like 20 years ago that you'd be able to fucking just like walk into a dispensary, like in yeah. like the, the full, like a recreational state. Like, well, um, even, does, even your, what, does your app, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say uh, LASIK today versus. Let's see. I was in sixth grade, so this was, I don't know, 20, 25? I don't know. I don't know how the fuck old I was. 20 to 25 years ago or whatever, one of my classmates brought in, her mom had gotten an early version of LASIK, and she brought in the video because they filmed it. But, dude, it was like, it, it looked like torture because she's awake. They have this thing that holds her eye open. They've mm-hmm. got, like, an old-school credit card machine-looking thing that comes in and is like, <laughs> And fucking like cut, and I'm looking around in my sixth grade cult, Christian school class, like, why the fuck are we watching this? Why did you bring this in? She's like, Isn't <laughs> that's this the cool? most heinous. And I've now it's just they just life. take a little laser and they're like, burp, you're good. So dude, that is knows, fucking dude. heinous. <laughs> so imagine 20 more years. It's like, here, take a pill. Your eyes work now. Yeah, right. What prison is that kid in now? <laughs> dude, it was so it was gnarly. Yeah, that seems really weird, especially for a Christian school, letting that kind of thing fly. Yeah, but like, <laughs> what what are you doing, Karen? Her name was Karen, and she was in sixth grade, so poor gal. I know what Man. she grew into. Did it, their par- her parents did her no favors, in fairness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I guess we should get like some of the cast of characters going here. So, like I said, we have the, our main guy. His name is Phoenix. We kind of do a. We're at present day. He's in a an asylum of some sort, and then we do we we get a flashback to when he's a kid, and he looks like you know he's he's growing up in this traveling the Gringo Circus. I think is what it's called, um, and this is set in Mexico, um, and he's like a magician. It seems like he has powers. 
Um, or I don't know if that's just like smoke and mirrors. That's just shit. magic. <laughs> or it's just okay. Um, and then his father is named is a portly gentleman named Orgo, um, which is just like dazzled all the fuck. Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, <laughs> like so many sequins. Is that what those are? Sequins? Yeah, he's a rhinestone cowboy. He's like heavy duty American. <laughs> like that's his character. Is that this is the token American? You can tell. Yeah, and he's like got that ridiculously early, uh, purple like Mercury coupe. Like, God, I didn't watch Tiger King, but this guy looks like he would be Tiger King's yeah. dad. That's yeah, seriously, it's a good call. Yeah, it is. I didn't even think it's of that while I was watching it, but it's like, please, please, Joe Exotic's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> jo- Joseph Exotic. I don't know. <laughs> There's a joke in there that we can workshop later when we're not recording. <laughs> Uh, and then next we have Concha, who is Phoenix's mom, who's th- this part was real weird to me because she's in the circus and simultaneously she's like one of the main church leaders for this sect uh, that follow Santa Sangre and their patron saint is, I think it was Lillian or Lirio. I, I forgot to write it down, but a girl who was raped by her father and had her arm, both arms cut off. Uh, and so that's their patron saint, and they have like this pop-up church with a pool of blood, which I think is just paint later on. But um, that's his mom and dad uh, that I didn't run think this. It was the, I thought the gal was raped by like villagers or something. I didn't think it was, was that it. Dad. It was a pair of brothers. She just said the okay. blah 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 brothers. Uh, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I missed that I part. Think. Yeah. Then they cut her arms off. Yeah. yeah. And then so they have which... like paper mache plaster of Paris like armless effigy uh that's their patron saint um yeah i thought those two worlds were really weird like how she's also like this hair trapeze artist in in the uh the circus and then we have um we have a little person who kind of pals around with phoenix uh i can't remember his name aladdin 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 fucking rules i love that guy (laughs) aladdin's just there in the clutch every time Yeah. yeah He's like the shoulder to cry on for Phoenix because he knows his like home life is fucked and yeah. yeah. He comes in later too at a key point. Um and then we have the tattooed lady uh who has a daughter named Alma that is seems around the same age as Phoenix, and you can tell there's something there between Phoenix and Alma. She's painted in like this weird like porcelain doll, like white face thing, and she's like a deaf mute is what I got or, yeah. or just mute. Um, one of them or both. I think, uh, I think both. Okay. And she's horribly mistreated by the tattooed lady. And so her and Phoenix have some kind of shared bond. They're, they're sweet on each other. Um, so that's kind of like the, our pack of strays in this, in this circus setup and, and the, the focal point for the rest of the flick. Um, Right, so the tat it really starts out with like the tattooed lady starting she's got like designs on the dad orgo and he's just like hook line and sinker like he's down he wants to fuck this woman uh and throw knives at her and the first thing we learn about him is that he killed a woman in the united states and that's why he has to hang out in mexico oh i missed that part did you it's like just something they say which is it's like one of three lines, so damn. I'm sure it's easy to gloss, but no, it's like I don't know. He's he's a real repulsive piece of shit. Yeah, 
He is gross as fuck. And he has the hairiest, like, like, I don't even know, man, like the tightest curls I've seen on chest hair. And then he's got this huge ass flaming, like Eagle or Phoenix chest tattoo. Um, I don't know. I got from this, like the beginning, like I thought he had like powers or something like there was something super, like he was able to like hypnotize people or I don't know if that was just like, everyone was like in on the gag, but it seemed like there was like some kind of between him and the mom, they had some kind of like influence or did you guys pick up on that at all? Well, he hypnotizes the mom. I think when she first is like, Hey, quit fucking around. He's like, "Uh." right, right. Yeah. He like glamors her. So he's like, Hey, I'm trying to get my fuck on. Yeah. Um, it's like look at look at the knife. You're you're hypnotized now, and that comes back later That's, when um, Phoenix is kind of following that same pathway with uh, who, the other performer that he, in his circus. And I think it's if I'm I could be wrong, but my understanding was that he his dad also owns that circus because it's like it's called the Gringo Circus or whatever, and like yeah. he's the t- token white dude in the building. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's like, kind of what I was thinking, or I had assumed as well. I, was, I just wanted to confirm if that was true or not, because if they said something about it, I didn't hear it. But that's he's kind of like he does have power over people, sort of like in a cult leader sort of way, which is interesting because the mom has a cult. Yeah, right. Is, the Monsignor is not all about at all. Um, that part was pretty intense too. Yeah. The Monsignor comes in and like tours their church, and he quickly realizes like fucking sacrilege happening unfolding yeah. right before my eyes, like. Yeah, he first gets there, like, I'm not going to let him tear it down. And then he talks to him, and, like, this is all bullshit. He's like, go ahead and tear it down. This is, go ahead. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> yeah, Man. I was like, I, I kept wondering, like, is this where the mom's going to lose her arms? Like, are these two, like, dozers going to, is she just going to, like, sit there and bear it? And, like, they're just going to, like, rip her arms off or something? It wasn't, it wasn't until later that this happens, but I kept, like, waiting for that because I knew that that was, like, a major, like, theme of this is that at some point this woman is losing her arms. So I kept, like, is this it right here? Like, um, that's funny because I didn't, I had forgotten that. We had we had either talked about it off the air or on a different episode, and I looked it up real quick, this movie, and I got halfway through the description, and what I read was, former circus artist escapes from mental hospital to rejoin his armless mother, and I just stopped reading, because at that point... Yeah, you're like, I'm, yeah, I'm sold. I'm in a thousand percent. <laughs> but, then yeah. when I, but then when I started watching it, I had completely forgotten about that part, so when... When yeah. she does lose her arms, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah that and that part comes make. up pretty soon. But before that, um, it's like, it's a really weird set of circumstances where it's like, okay, so yeah, the dad, the uh, Orgo, like, hypnotizes the mom. He's like, I'm trying to fuck this new tattooed lady because uh, he's just sprung off of her. And then the mom somehow breaks out of the the uh being hypnotized again and like there's some weirdness there and then at the same time there's they have a sick elephant which is like i thought that part was super graphic seeing like all the fucking blood come out of the trunk of this sick like it's like he's sick and it's like blood's coming out of its mouth and its trunk and then flash to you know the mom and dad fighting which turns into them fucking like on the side of this uh of the circus and the son's watching and hearing like his mom writhe and scream. And then at the same time, the fucking elephants like dying and it's screaming too at the same time. 
and he's just crying his eyes out. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? We've like immediately gone into like what the fuck territory. And then uh, one of the weirder parts for me too was so the elephant dies. And there's like a very somber, serious, like funeral procession, like downtown. And it just cuts. That was another thing that was kind of jarring to me was like how quickly they go from like these wild set pieces to the procession for this beloved elephant. Everyone's in black or goes in black and silver sequins, like fully decked out, like leading the procession on a horse. And I, I thought that was interesting, like how like serious, like the tone of it was was very somber and like uh i wasn't expecting that really and then how they also have a like designated sled like dump off area and then on the other side it looks like a faction of like some like favela or like shanty town of people covered in like white chalk that are waiting for the i don't know like a like an offering or something. And so there's this like huge ass fucking colony or something. <laughs> yeah. Something like some, like, you know, unwanted's like castaways on the, on the, the other side of town that are just separated by like a ravine. And they also too, did you guys notice how ornate and like, like the elephant casket it was in itself. I was like, dude, this is like, where are we going? And then they drop it off the cliff and then it gets even weirder. And they start, these people start swarming the casket. And then it's like a tr- piece of a trunk rips off. And like, then it gets pretty wild. Like hunks of this, they look like zombies, like a zombie horde busting into this elephant casket and ripping off wholesale, like parts of an elephant and feeding on it. And then you have kind of a tender moment with the dad and the son saying like something like, oh, I'll, I'll make you a man or like it hurts, but you know, he's like, stop crying. Get over this. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Stop being a little bitch. <laughs> I think that like that, all that whole sequence of events involving the elephant and seeing his parents fucking, which mom didn't look like she was down with it really to me. It looked like no. she was performing a function that she had to perform. Right. And immediately after that, he's begging this elephant not to die. The elephant dies. They dump it into a ravine and a bunch of scavengers like pick it for meat. <laughs> and like and then the dad's like, "Oh, you're a man now. You can't cry." Okay, um, yeah, that's what he says. And like that well, I don't know if that's the exact line I'm paraphrasing, but it, like by that time we get to the point where the dad is giving him his own bird tattoo, eagle, phoenix tattoo, whatever on his chest. It was pretty to me it was becoming pretty clear that that whole thing was like th- this whole movie is shaping up to be coming of age because that's an in- that's that's the loss of innocence right the elephant's innocence he saw his right. parents fucking the elephant dies and then he has to become a man and stop crying and he's basically tortured and can't even you know like his innocence is picked apart by scavengers <laughs> like i don't know yeah that's a good metaphor for sure yeah and he's gonna he the the father's gonna console him by proceeding to slice his slice a bird into his chest with a fucking like a buoy knife or like one of the thro- carnival throwing knife to give him this like the same tat the same huge ass bird thunderbird on his chest um yeah that was all, I was like dude what did I sign up for um so and I can't remember is it immediately following this where we get our first jump forward back to present day or is there well, something no, else that happens before still this? The, 
the hair. Or then it's the church. No, no, no. The church was gone at this point. That was like the first thing that happens almost. And then uh, his, the mom is performing at the circus suddenly. And they're like, oh, she's also a performer. And that's when right. she catches Tattooed Lady. Uh, um, Phoenix gets locked into their trailer or whatever while the murder happens, basically. Oh, yes. The, okay. The acid thrown on his dick. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, first of all, okay, so yeah, the the so this is later on, this is like the second time like Orgo is trying to get his fuck on with the tattooed lady and he almost makes it and then the mom stops her routine like midway and fucking they go at it and it it culminates with uh the dad Orgo taking two of his knives off of the his throwing circle of death knife throw and fucking just comes right up underneath the arms armpits and fucking slices her arms off and i I wasn't expecting that to happen it's like so quickly or like that based off like the the tease from i was like okay they're probably gonna do this right away and then when they didn't i was like oh maybe this is like an an end of the movie kind of thing so it kind of lulled me into a false sense of security um but yeah that was pretty fucking shocking and i don't know i know there's an nc-17 version of this and i I would have to say that was the version I watched because that scene was incredibly fucking brutal. And I think I read in the, in the rated R cut, they toned down the elephant deaths cause there's two of them and the blood, uh, effects were cut down. Cause I think there's only like a three or four minute difference between NC 17 and the R version of this. But did you watch on Tubi or I, I read what I it. watched. I rented I it, it on, on Amazon Prime because I oh. fucking hate Tubi commercials when I'm trying <laughs> I to like. I watched it on Tubi. Yeah, I think that Tubi said in C17, but I yep. could I could be wrong. You think? Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, You're right. And yeah, the, right. the elephant blood scene was pretty gnarly. Yeah, that was. I mean, even later when he has his own. Yeah, yeah. Well, later when he has his own like elephant blood thing. Yeah, when he's like miming like the elephant and it's like pouring out. It, dude, it gave me flashbacks to the fucking. Uh, what is that? The Bud, uh, what's his face? Who killed himself? Oh, it's on Bud, like Dwyer. Uh, CKY. Yeah. yeah, Bud Dwyer. That's what Jesus. it reminded me of. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, worse about the elephant. Yeah. No, same for sure. <laughs> well, animals, you know. Um, but yeah, the arms coming off is what got me more than anything. Like, I don't know. Like, that. the, the chickens pecking at it and shit. Like, I don't know. And it got me. I was like, I, I didn't see it coming. So maybe that was part of it. I was just shocked that. And like the the po- poetry of it, like she, you know, worships an armless saint, and here she is having her arms cut off right. by in a jealous lover's quarrel. Like maybe it was just all too much, kind of all together. But it, it struck me pretty hard. Yeah, it was almost like she was like trying to like manifest that maybe, or like she was like wanting to like she she bought into it so much that she wanted to be like the next saint of this or something maybe, but. Yeah, I thought it was like from a practical aspect it was going to happen, or yeah, something like that. Well, like in, it was her in the subconscious, in the subconscious of Phoenix later on, she certainly has powers. So I like at least in his logic of how his brain interprets her later on as a figment, it, it involves some sort of supernatural power that she can exert over him, which ultimately is just him at the end of the day. But yeah. Um, it's like like and she he still hangs up like the, another paper mache armless saint uh, Santa Sangra up on the wall, and so like there's a clear co- co- connection between those characters, and I think that her having her arms cut off is clearly indicating that she is a pious figure in his mental image, but she's also fucking 
the devil in his like she makes him kill a bunch of people yeah um so i don't know it's a very like that's what's so interesting is like there's like this really like the way that he he internalizes his parents is so interesting because like his dad i I, but i looked this up because somebody pointed out that concha the name of his mother is slang in spanish for vagina yeah and or orgo is when translated translates to orgy and Alma, the little girl, translates to soul. So there's like hmm. some very clear lines being delineated for him and how he is, views these characters and how we are supposed to view these characters. And it's yeah. clear that like his dad is like this like sexualized like fucking demon beast who like because he is also male, uh, he he imparts that that sinful need for the flesh on him and the sin like feeling that it's sinful it comes from his mom who is the pious figure and is like so like this weird contradiction that's happening it's like the worst it's like self-defeating you know what i mean and it's kind of like puberty man that's what puberty is you're not supposed to feel these things but here you are feeling them how do you feel about that you know like i don't know i thought that was pretty fucking great honestly yeah yeah i definitely didn't think that far into it but that's a yeah that's a good pull yeah, I didn't. I didn't um, think about that either. I was just looking at the dad <laughs> committing suicide. Like, oh, cool, <laughs> dude. That was a pretty good neck neck drag. I gotta say. Yeah, yeah I think that effective. was another difference in the NC seventeen version. Was that was more drawn out him him slitting his throat. Um, which yeah, I, I gotta say too. Like the even going back to like uh, what they did with the elephant and the practical effects there but the the practical effect of the mom losing the arms i thought that looked pretty well done for you know late 80s i mean and like this type mm-hmm. of movie it almost this movie doesn't feel like an, a late 80s movie like i felt like i was going back in time and watching something from like the late 70s or like the mid 70s it had like that kind of sheen that kind of feel to it but um yeah i thought that was well done and then yeah then the the um <clears throat> Orgo, the dad, gets fucking acid thrown on his fucking schmack and part of his face, and, like, that was pretty brutal, too. And his wake falls off, which is the best part of it. Yeah. (laughs) That wake was bumming me the fuck out the whole movie. That weird-ass platinum blonde, like, and, like, juxtaposed with his fucking, like, uh, eyeliner and eyelashes, too. He just looked like a hideous fucking old sack of shit. Um, He looked like a like a, a heel from like a second rate wrestling regional wrestling group. Dude, I was getting vibes from like uh Vince Neil, like present day. Like I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then he, he, he gets burned up by the acid and quickly quickly realizes, okay, I'm fucked. So yeah, he offs himself, which that was the, that practical effect was super brutal and uh yeah. Alma was, gets carted off right after, so he kinda loses it all all at once. Yeah. Except for Aladdin, I guess. Kind of. (laughs) So then is this where, this is where we get the jump back or the jump forward to, so now Phoenix is like, I don't know, we don't, we don't deal with times or dates or anything, but I'll just say 15, 20 years later, call it. And then he's in the asylum. He thinks he's a bird, maybe. Um, And this part got really weird for me too so like his breakout from the whole asylum um so so he's in an asylum and he's obviously there with there with other you know developmentally disabled individuals and they organize a trip to the movies 
with a highly suspect uh, uh, handler, chaperone, chaperone yeah. uh, who proceeds to offer them coke to liven up the uh, <laughs> the experience, the field trip. Um, and so, yeah, there's these like, you know, handicapped men and women and our guy Phoenix. And he's just kind of like going through the motions, like, like a shell of a person just kind of meandering through and something, what happens? I, I, he sees the tattooed lady. Oh yeah, that's and, right. And, and it triggers they, they something. They get taken to the red light district where there's just like any number of different kinds of like orgies or sexual escapades happening, but it's dirty as fuck. And he sees the tattooed lady dancing with some, some guy. My uh, right. then, favorite cast member <laughs> is uh, Mary Aranza. She's just listed as fat prostitute. Dude, yeah, I saw that in the credits. I was like, man, like, come yep. on, I think have we some all know tact. Exactly who that was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the guy who gives him the coke is like, how much to bang all five of these guys with Down syndrome? And she says, what, twenty bucks? And he's like, all right, fifteen for me, five for you. Like, this is the worst deal of all time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, pimp- pimping is easy. Apparently, <laughs> on the wallet anyway. Man, he um, was pretty sharply dressed too. I must say, it was it was a little unclear to me. I guess like uh, w- at first, I, it was only on later reflection that I thought maybe they were like led there intentionally by the staff of this this group to go get laid, and hopefully that would help in therapy, I guess, or something. Like I don't know if that was supposed to be like a, an off the books sort of intentional like therapy thing for them because they come back and they're all like psyched that they got laid. (laughs) But like at the same, like I was actually really interested with like how they depicted the, 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 I don't know what you would call it. Not an asylum exactly because I took this movie to take place somewhere in like the seventies or eighties. And like in that time in America, it was like fucking dungeons for these people. And this looked Mm -hmm. pretty nice. I was surprised how nice, like nicely it was depicted but then like whether or not that chaperone was no, they knew that he was going to do that or not was where I was like, I'm not sure. And I don't know that it really matters, but it's a lingering question for me. Yeah. I I would have to fall on the side of, I don't think they were in cahoots on all of that, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a risky wager to be like, Hey, yeah. give, give these guys a bunch of Coke and uh, try to get them laid. And, <laughs> And see, because yeah. imagine what if they just went ape shit and just started yeah. like ripping people in half, or Dude, or just what if they come back with like their own dick falling off from whatever diseases you get in the red light district yeah. in Mexico? Yeah. Like seriously, <laughs> I don't know, but like yeah, it's it'd be a risky move. Like, and they didn't really depict that the doctors or anything as incompetent, uh, other than that one scene where the the guy dr- dr- like gives them coke or whatever while the other chaperone and his, the uh nurse are making out in the car that's the like only bit that you see where they're like don't seem like they're attentive caregivers right yeah so i just thought it was very interesting to me very weird it yeah. was weird because that main doctor's like all right you guys have fun i'm gonna go hang out with, yeah. with grandma or whatever and i'm like uh yeah, yeah and then your trust there. the chaperone seems like a guy out of Scarface or something like he's got like I'm a pretty sure that's like the a, other a Sorry, fedora like he just he doesn't seem like <laughs> the kind of person that they would approach to to be the chaperone at all. Yeah. I I do think that is the pimp that is another Jodorowsky too. Yeah, um, I think you're right. 
He even okay. looks kind of like him. So. Yeah, now I can see the familiar resemblance for sure. Damn. Yeah, it had to be maybe like his older son or like a brother or a cousin or something. But He's in the uh, family. So at this point, there's like a scuffle and there there's a couple different things that happen. And then there's like an opening for our main guy, Phoenix, to get away. And I'm kind of drawing a blank at this point, too, because I had to split this one up in two viewings, too. But um, isn't don't, don't we do kind of like a hard cut to... Yeah, he, we kind of hard reinventing cut. himself into Orgo. No, what happens right after he gets away? Well, okay, so what happens is like at the red light district, he sees the tattooed woman, and then they hard cut to him in the um in the quote unquote asylum. I'm just going to call it that for because I don't know what else to call it. The, yeah. the hospital, say, and he's like suddenly like doing performing like he would as a kid, you know, like doing backflips and all these sorts of things. And then right, he, that's right. Hears his mother's voice outside the window, and he climbs his perch to allow himself out of there and she's just out there armless and at that point i'm like oh shit she lived yeah and i was i i bought it like as you know the truth at the moment but i did and then too. he follows her out and then there's a real hard cut to him having some sort of performance company in a theater where he's performing as his mother's arms in this like weird tableau thing talking about the wind and stuff it's very very uh art kid bullshit um <laughs> that's that's one of those parts where i was like whoa what the fuck he just has he just escaped from a, a hospital how the fuck did he arrange all of this he somehow stumbles upon aladdin his mother is there and all of a sudden they just have access to do this performances <laughs> like i don't right. know i was very confused by that yeah and and the weird like whose line is it anyway thing where i'm gonna be <laughs> your arms it's like who the fuck is paying money for this but I'll suspend, I'll suspend my disbelief for the time being, and yeah, and yeah. Good, good call. Allowing somebody who should be kept in their room a perch that goes perfectly up to their window, mm-hmm. right? It's <laughs> and thinks that they're escape. a bird. Like, what if they just think that and they try to fucking nosedive and he flew oh, away? You're dying. Did um, he request that or that perch specifically? Yeah. Other because if not, they just decided that was a good idea. Or yeah, they read into like, oh, he thinks he's a bird, so we should get him a perch. Yeah, <laughs> should line the floors with newspaper. Why not? God, I I don't know. Are you guys bird people? Did you ever grow up with like a cockatoo in the house? And like, I always knew people. I I knew some people that were like bird people, and I was just like and you see their bird cage and you got to clean it out and like the shit. It's like, it's like, I don't want to come down on people that have cats too, but it's like when you have a cat and you, or if you don't have a cat and you go somewhere that has a cat and you could smell the litter box, you know, it's like, it becomes part of the fabric of the bird version of that is like, I can't man. (laughs) Anyway, I just don't know what you get out. My sister had a bird for a while. Like it died pretty quick. So I guess we didn't take good care of it. But, um, (laughs) When I was a kid, we had this bird, and it was like, I don't know. What, uh, even at that age, I was like, what, what are you getting out of this, sis? Like, what is <laughs> yeah. that? You can't, you can't cuddle pet, that thing. Yeah, yeah, you can't pet it. You can't, like. No offense. I to, like, And I, I guess I can see the appeal. Like, it's like, oh, it's just interesting to have another creature in the house or whatever. But between the smell and, like, not being able to cuddle it, man, so, sign me up for something else. Yeah. <laughs> well, and some of them are noisy as shit, too. My grandma got into yeah. birds late in life for no reason. <laughs> I have no idea why. And they were loud as shit. Yeah. 
I mean, some of the ones you see like the like the uh, the really like highly trained ones that can like mimic and like they can say funny shit. Like I can see the the uh, the concept with that. Yeah, like if the... you have a hard time talking to people, it might be a conversation <laughs> starter. It's like the snake guy at every NASCAR event. Oh, dude! <laughs> I was just thinking, no matter how weird bird people are, snake people. Yeah, snake people are on another level. And yeah. actually, Phoenix is a bit of a snake person. At least his dick is. Uh, Dude, that <laughs> skipping forward to that part, that's my favorite part of the movie for like how dry <laughs> they play it. Like he's like freaking out and the the snake's like unfurling and then when it goes away and he he snaps out of it and like the apothecary lady turns, she's like, "Phoenix, are you okay?" He's like, "Yes, I was just hallucinating." Like how like straight he put did that that part <laughs> fucking it sent me, but I, what, yeah, I was like, at first I was like, is this a euphemism yeah. or is this like a, is this a, a metaphor for his dong? And he's like, he's seeing this procession and he's like, Whoa, fuck. Like, well, he sees some, like, that's when he first finds out about the strongest woman alive or whatever, the, the pro wrestler. So I think yeah. he's just like, Oh shit. Somebody that can help me contain my, uh, like that can prevent my mom quote unquote from, from killing whatever woman comes home. Right. And so like it's it's he needs another strong woman to domineer over him in order to break his mom's spell, which is not a healthy way of handling that situation, buddy. But no. no. Um, but I mean so yeah, were, that's when the that's snakes, what your like, goal was, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> he he aimed high. <laughs> but like it's clear that he's sexually aroused by that idea because of the snake hallucination. But I also loved that he was just like, Oh sh- sorry, it's just just hallucinating. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> just drinking really a bunch of me. random chemicals to try to become the invisible man. Like Jesus, Dude, guy. Forgot about that. Yeah, that was a fun callback, and that's like showing like the depths of his like you know just like desperation to like rid himself of this shit. You know, like it's like he would yeah, have been a big f- MCR kid. Yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> Or the cure or some shit. Yeah, he's he missed the boat on popular music because he could have been right in there getting his flock of seagulls haircut or some shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so I guess slightly backtracking. So he he actually comes across like uh, someone his own age that like he he I think maybe he sees something from when he was younger, like from Alma, and he, he there's like an, another potential love interest or it's just another woman who's automatically targeted as a threat by mom quote unquote and like they're getting pretty hot and heavy and then the mom like comes into play and was like kill her like fucking take her out and so like his dad like throwing the knives on like the you picture that that circus like the woman you know uh doing the Leonardo da Vinci on this, on this wooden bullseye and he's throwing the knives and then he fucking just sinks one right into her gut. I thought that was fucked up. That was fucked up. But actually we also did skip the first kill, which is the tattooed lady, which is kind of actually going back to your Jalo observation, a very Jalo kill. Yeah, that was anytime she came into the picture that I got those kinds of vibes. Like she, I don't know if like, that was like the, uh, like, he wanted to insert that as like this character represents that. But I, I definitely picked up on that the most when she was like front and center, but yeah, good call. That was like him and his mom both getting, you know, yeah. Vengeance. It's like, it's like point of view or off, like just the hands or something like that. 
And so you don't you don't know who's doing it at that time. You just right. kind of have to deduce later when mom is uh, pulling uh, Norma Bates' situation with the right. next girl. Yeah, and I guess for Steve's edification too, like I know I've thrown around the word giallo a couple times, but it's like a it's just like a subgenre uh, of Italian horror film, and one of the main uh, hallmarks of that is like a POV as the killer and you usually see it's like like a black gloved hand or just a set of hands and a knife and then it's like jaws like dunna dunna and you get right up to the victim and they slash him and like that's that's kind of like the the main uh hallmark of those kinds of films so yeah that one was definitely this was a vehicle for for that kind of slip that subgenre or trope in there but um yeah and so then he does like sink that knife into the the other performer's belly and then goes to bury her which is yeah. an interesting scene <laughs> like he buries yeah. her in like the woods or whatever and then he before doing so he paints her white like all white which i gotta think has something to do with the mime girl that he has mm-hmm. affection for but i don't know what it is exactly yeah uh, it's like a purifying thing or I don't know. But what happens before he can start like actually finishing the burial is she turns into a goose and flies away. So yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> that was, that was where I was teetering a little bit on like, yeah. okay, what, what is the sim like, this is going a little bit too far into the symbology. Symbology. <laughs> I can see wow. the look on your face that you're getting ready to play. <laughs> I respect the the bump game. Nice. <laughs> you read me like a dime store paperback. Cheap, cheap paperback. Yeah, and, and uh, Alma's character. I don't know. Maybe it was just the mood that I was in. Um, I, I don't like kids like at all. Um, <laughs> but I. But right. even from the beginning, I felt like really protected. Like I felt really bad for her as a kid. So I felt. Oh yeah. Really like this weird protective thing. Like I was getting really pissed off at her not mom the tattooed lady whatever and then before the tattooed lady gets killed she pimps her daughter out for the big weird guy and i I could just feel myself like i'm gonna i would fucking kill this guy slowly you know so i felt felt a good connection jaws yeah uh so i thought they did a good job sort of developing the alma character because i i was in and i mean the whole rest of the movie i was like please tell me she comes back and everything's okay because I don't know. Right. For some reason, I cared that a lot about her. One. Yeah, she's really. I, I was ninety five percent of the way through the movie the same way, but there was this moment where, like, kind of towards the end, where I was like, "So wait, is the moral of the story? Is there some like weird like chauvinism thing going on here where the ideal woman is a deaf mute who just comes <laughs> along to save you when you're feeling bad? I don't know about that guy, but I think there's. There's probably some stronger sim- symbolism going on beyond that. And I think she's like so like likable and you yeah, you you root for her and for yeah. him. Like they're the only characters to root for in this whole fucking movie, pretty much. Maybe Aladdin. You also I, root for Aladdin. We do like Aladdin. I, I thought the, the the cheap joke would be like it just wasn't she's, in enough. She's the perfect girl because she's silent, but really I think she's mm-hmm. the only thing that could draw him out of his weird fucking internal mommy clusterfuck. But mm-hmm. well, soul if if she is the soul that he was disconnected from because of the trauma of growing up under those crazy circumstances then yeah i can understand like like i can understand this symbolism of having a your soul be sort of like the quiet part that's easy to overlook that that you know 
you have to like reconnect yourself to in order to feel like a whole person again and have all those things escape from your head all those those that trauma go away i can understand that as as a methodology for telling this story um but regardless she's just like you you want the best for the two of them so bad yeah yeah because they both came from shitty backgrounds and i mean even at the beginning too like there's a scene that really sets that up when the the tattooed lady who is Alma's mom is like trying to get her to cross this burning rope and she's been really shitty to her is it she's, just like her yeah, yeah, that's right because she fi- found her in the poorhouse or something? Okay, like, yeah. I, I regret okay, ever yeah. rescuing you or something. Yeah, okay. Al- uh, Alma's mom died, and she sort of just becomes um, acquisitioned by the tattoo yeah. lady as her uh, little. Well, that's even worse then. Um, yeah. yeah. So she she's that to her, just like a piece of property, and she's getting treated like shit, and then yeah. later on becoming pimped out, whored out uh to the to the highest bidder but um I, it was especially cruel when she's like when he she throws him back there and was like she can't she can't scream or hear anything so you know do your worst or whatever i was like oh fuck you That's man fucking hellish yeah yeah um quick and- side piece of trivia i guess the the gal who played older uh Alma is actually deaf in real life, and she's only been in like two films: one in 1989, one in 2017. So, um, yeah, usually you don't get that kind of representation with outside of like a few examples, um, like Young Walt in Breaking Bad, uh, (laughs) and (laughs) Young Walt. (laughs) Isn't that isn't he Walter Junior? He is. I just like like I don't know why I said Young Walter the Younger. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was cool that they hired someone who was actually deaf uh, for the part. So that that was cool to get that representation. But um, uh, fuck, where help me where we're at in the story? We're getting kind of to the last, the third act here. About there. aren't we? So like, yeah, they're performing or whatever, and like he he yeah he he goes to that to that strong woman. Right? Yeah, he goes to see her perform. And I don't know if she's a trans person or if it's just a, a large guy in drag, but whatever the situation is, this is a very, very large person. And he's yeah. like, he invites her back and he's like very meek about it. It's kind of adorable. I was like, she's like, oh, can I push you around or something like that? And he's like, if you want. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and he's like, I have a theater in my house. And so yeah. he takes her yeah. to his weird house theater where there's Aladdin there and doesn't get questioned at all. He's like, who's this guy? No, doesn't matter. And so he starts to perform for her. And that's when the mummy, the actual desiccated corpse that he has in this, in this tomb, this mummy's whatever sarcophagus, he opens it up, he shows it and he's going to, I'm going to turn it into birds. And then he opens it and Oh no, it's armless mom who he's been doing all kinds of like ridiculous shit as not part of a performance, but just at home, like doing like knitting and shit for her as her arms. So yeah, this is where the, uh, the psycho overtones kind of, you get reminded of that or at least I did for sure here, but that is a good call. Like how beef, like beefcake this dude is and how like meek he's playing it. Like when he mm-hmm. gets, when Phoenix like gets her to come back to his place, I thought that was kind of a funny juxtaposition. Cause just before you see him, beating wholesale ass (laughs) and it's like hey you want to come over and i thought too like the the 
his theater in his home, it reminded me of like like some Tim Burton shit, like like in Beetlejuice, like those weird angles of that, and everything was like all black. That theater room was super, like the art direction of that looked like super cool. Yeah. How like they set that up, I was curious. It made you think, like looking from the outside, like the dimensions don't fit, like what's mm-hmm. inside, like uh, like a Harry Potter, like the tent, and it you go into it, and it's a fucking massive ass like mansion. You know, I was like, that's that, like German that expressionist cool. angles and shit a little bit. Not yeah. not not a ton, but a little bit. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that like like what he was asking of that that woman was that she break his arms because that like this whole, like as much birds and arms are like everything in this fucking movie. Yeah. And like his armless mom, he's his mom's arms. So if he, his arms are broken, then he can't kill, I guess is the logic. Yeah. Right. But he's then having his arms broken by this other woman. He's going to be domineered by. So I, I don't know. There's some weird shit going on. And I guess that's, it just needed to be pointed out because there's even like the cult symbol or two yeah, arms the crossing in a weird yeah. way. <laughs> the diamond shit. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't pick I up on that, that until like later on, they zoom in closer to the mom when mm-hmm. she's like going like this. I was like, Oh fuck. That's a, that's a cool design with the two arms making that like diamond, like mm-hmm. double X symbol. The owl ring symbol or some shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, from there, I think the next thing that happens is is Alma. I think. Oh no, he goes back. To, he goes back to bury the the bodybuilder or whatever. And holy shit, he has a body count. This man. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. all of a sudden, it's like forty five different people. He's hallucinating them women coming out of the ground they're all painted all white they're like why did you kill me and he's like i feel bad and he's like collapsing <laughs> on himself. And then, yeah that's another part with like the time there's no like like i felt like all of this could have happened like this third act could have happened in like a two-week period or a year and a half or two years like yeah how long has he been at this you know like being possessed by his mom and the well, arms and everything like you i could i could make the argument years that that it's like a day because when when the cops eventually find him i mean it's not like they wouldn't know where he is right because wherever he was you would think that they would have caught him pretty fast or is that just me i don't know they don't have a body so i kind of like i don't know exactly how he gets caught i guess off the top there's got to be something in there that he fucked up on because the the um the apothecary lady, she got away. Oh, um, yeah, maybe it was her. Because, yeah. yeah, she walks in like at a really inopportune time and she's freaking the fuck out. So, yeah, maybe that would, yeah, she probably. Yeah, I ran think from the snake dick the on is one day. And yeah. that, like, I maybe even a little bit before. But because Alma has also escaped at this point, she, she wakes up that morning and goes off and sees his, uh, the, the advertisements for his his show and identifies him and then goes looking for him. And then that's, she ultimately finds him like right after he comes back from the, uh, from burying the bodybuilder and his mom is like tormenting him or whatever or something. He's, he's being feeling tormented. He's covered in blood and she comes in painted in white and she's just like, Hey, don't worry about that. I'm here now. (laughs) And she's pretty chill with him being covered in blood and shit. (laughs) And then is the reveal like it just, I don't think it's any one thing. It's just he all of a sudden comes to the realization and it does like a mini flashback in his head kind of. And when Alma's like holding his hands and starts like plucking away these redonkulously long 
red nails to signify that the mom is in control or Mm -hmm. the mom is using the arms, but, um, that it was him the whole time. And this is the, the twist. If there is to be one in this film is like, Oh shit. He wasn't. Cause I bought it completely hook, line and sinker that like, yeah, his mom was still alive and he was, you know, there's some weird supernatural maybe that like she's able to control him or he's just under some kind of spell that's, that could be explained away, but that, you know, he was the avatar for her to like take out her aggression or, or her, uh, you know, whatever reason she has to want to kill, continue to kill people Punishing to protect him or pun- yeah. lust. Well, yeah, oh yeah. That's like, the big thing. She's yeah. The pious, right. She's the, she's the, 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 the religious side of things that shames anything to do with sexuality to the point of melting dicks off. Sure. Right. Um, and you know i'm still making more connections with this movie like even what's interesting about him doing the magic performance where he's like i'm going to turn this into doves or whatever and then it's his mom and then she takes over his arms it's like the birds obviously represent a level of freedom to some extent but like he he is not able to perform as himself he is only able to perform as his mother he used to be a child magician that's what he did he like mm-hmm. pulled out these like like whenever he did sleight of hand with alma to, when he met her but yeah, he hasn't like done any of that. or something yeah. and so like i don't know i think there's obviously something to that where it's like he he tries to perform as himself and mom still like gets the better of him at that point. So yeah, at that point, and then Alma's like sort of leading him back and he, and she tries to get him to kill, or uh, I'm sorry, the mom tries to get him, Concha tries to get him to kill Alma and he manages to fight her off is really all that happens. And then yeah, he like has, their bond goes or their in, connection was too much that like that was, that was the final thing he needed to be able to overcome the mm-hmm. spell of his mother or the ghost of his mother. That and seeing her, ventriloquist dummy in her bed which is also covered in birds for some reason and that's after he has this flashback where and all of a sudden they're just clowns the clowns are like a saving they're like saviors in this movie fucking yeah saint clowns i don't know what's going on with them but they came in did he see the dummy in her bed because i thought once he stabbed the mom and she kind of like Mm -hmm. stumbled away and then disappeared I yeah. thought that was the moment where it sort of took the blinders off because maybe that was, I'm, well, I'm probably, was, was no, a, you're right. Well, cause there was a moment <laughs> earlier where somebody looked in the bed, but maybe they didn't show what it was. But then after he stabbed, I thought somebody looked in the bed. Maybe not. Possibly. But, and maybe Alma did or something. And when he, she was, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I maybe a lot that now, did. but then yeah, after she disappeared, then the clowns that came to help, um, <laughs> He looks in the bed, sees the doll, kind of puts it all together, and then sets the the effigy on fire or whatever, and then the clowns disappear, and then Aladdin. Poor Aladdin. I thought he was real the whole time, but... I wanted him to be, but also I kind of didn't because I was like, this guy has no agency of his own. He's just whatever lackey he needs him to be in the moment. Right. (laughs) Because he helped him kill at least one of those gals, and I was like, come on, Aladdin, you're better than this. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. He's like, what are you aiding and abetting a mass murderer right now, Aladdin? You you can do better. But he was imaginary as well, so that was kind of a relief, honestly. Yeah. Aladdin's off the hook. Thank God. Um... And then we get the ultimate clincher, which is, oh, he got the control of his hands back. But guess what? Those hands are guilty of right. all these. And then he, he gets ultimate justice for 
<clears throat> I did hear, I read somewhere, like I was trying to contextualize this movie really quickly. <laughs> like for myself, I was like, okay, what, what can I learn about this in, in a day before this podcast records? Same. And one thing that I read was, or saw or something, was that Jodorowsky, his, one of the main ideas of this was to try and create a serial killer that you feel more empathy for than any of its victims. And I think that is successful here. Like, yeah. At the end, like you, you feel empathy for those victims for sure, but like you have to actively remind yourself that he's even a killer through most of this movie, <laughs> and, and you actually actively don't know to a certain point. Yeah, I had the it was a complete carpet pull for me at the end. Mm-hmm. Like I, I bought totally the story that that the mom was had her designs and was just you know channeling it through him, and he was just you know he didn't have any say in the matter. So uh, yeah, I totally bought that. And I, with his intent, you know, stated, I, I agree too. Like, I, I didn't feel like, oh, f- yeah, fuck this guy. Like, you know, he, he, he was traumatized. He didn't have a choice, like, like from a super young age, you know? So, um, like I, he, he was just kind of almost like a bystander in, in all of these things. And he was just like trying to navigate his way through them. But yeah, at the end too, I like how he didn't give up a fight either. He's like, he's like, Oh yes, finally I'm free. I'm stripped of that. And then there's like fucking 50 cops and they're all pointing the guns and he just puts his hands up, you know, like he's like, yeah, I'll go all my hands. I'll wear this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like he's got a choice, you know, and like, I'm going to do the right thing now. Um, so yeah, I, lo- I liked how it ended. I, I, I liked the rug pull. I liked, uh, and this is back when it comes in, it comes into a linear fashion. It grounds you and like, okay, this is the reality. And it, it, it doesn't like continue on with like weird time jumps and like abstract mm-hmm. nature of like the first hour plus of the film. So yeah, this part definitely kind of brought it home for me, which it sounds like that was the a common thread between all of us. I just think like it's, it, it became somewhat easier to understand and I liked what it had to say. I, I personally, I can totally get down with like an ambiguous and strange ending in yeah. the right context. But I, I, I was happy because not every movie gives you what you want. And what I wanted is for Alma and, uh, phoenix to end up together and be okay with the ex- and i but i also wanted him to face some sort of justice for being a killer because like towards the end i'm like this guy's a mass murderer like yeah. w- like what I, that aladdin made me realize that i was like aladdin what are you doing wait a minute what are you doing like <laughs> yeah. i expect this from him but not you and then right. like it becomes this whole thing where i'm like well he's got to see some sort of justice or else this is basically a basically richard ramirez coming into his own movie like that's yeah and it, just like, getting into like, the blood game or norman bates like nobody thinks of norman bates as all that sympathetic yeah, but he is that's a, little a good bit. point that's a good point because they are very similar him and Nor- norman bates but you don't feel the same way about norman bates and psycho at least i don't but um like you don't have that level of like sympathy but i guess to be fair though you'd also don't see what norman bates went through right. as a kid also so it kind of is like this movie is almost like I feel like this is a double feature where it's like from from both sides of the coin. You know what I mean? So yeah, this, this all was... this all tracks back to this is why you should not give people who live in an insane asylum cocaine because it just <laughs> it just fuels <laughs> yeah. this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Said it once, I'll say it again. <laughs> Man, you're just full of hot takes today, I guess. And I wonder if they you just, don't they... want to give Ill- illegal drugs to. 
people who can't take care of themselves? Why not? Just eating what, raw prude? fish. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this guy just ate a raw fish. Um, give him cocaine. Let's. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Let's see what that does. Uh, yeah. I wonder if they just took him back to the asylum. Like, here you go. We got a live one. You lost it. Yeah. Let's see what happens if we put him in a hamster ball. Maybe we brought some back ayahuasca. Your, we brought back your perch. Maybe close his window next time, yeah. huh? Put bars on it. <laughs> it's interesting that like that room that he he's in with the perch or whatever, like it looks remarkably similar to where he ultimately is living at the end of the movie, which is also like this really tall and seemingly an exterior that is somehow enclosed. It's like <laughs> it's like he's squatting in like like I don't a know, and like spire. a cut. yeah, it's very fucking weird. But that room also looks like that. I feel like they, maybe it was like a limitation on, on locations to film or something. But maybe there's some reason that they did it that way. I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah. I guess that's uh, that's Santa Sangre in a nutshell. Um, I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the music and the score of the entire movie. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I, I, I didn't key in on on it until maybe the midpoint and i can't remember now because i'm i'm fucking half cocked on red stag <laughs> shout out pay Hell me yeah. um but there was one s- specific like uh sound sound drop uh or music drop that i really dug it kind of like it fed into like my my current uh like the twin dragons of synth sax kind of and it also like echoed like goblin like the the jalo some vibes in a couple tracks, but uh, yeah, I, I dug that too in this film and it totally, it jives with, with other type of Jalo films. Like they have, they have some, I think if there's anything that would be of interest to you, if we keep this going and we get into maybe some more popular Jalo like Suspiria, there are some fucking wicked uh, film scores that if you like this kind of shit, it's right up your alley. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Goblin, Steve? No. Check them out. They're, they got some, cool shit if you is like if a, you like the soundtrack in is this. that a person a movie a band oh no it's a music mu- musical act okay goblin yeah i think you'll dig it but yeah the score was bitching too for sure mm-hmm. yeah i think this the, they made this movie so 88 89 uh it was seven hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars, which is I've seen some pretty big budgets in this same time period and mm-hmm. uh i think they did a lot they got a, they got quite a, quite a bang for their buck for sure. For sure. Um, I have a couple of things since we've kind of wrapped this up on, um, the director Jodorowsky's, uh, background, one of which calling back to like that Dune documentary that I watched. And I thought this is kind of wild. Like what, he, like what he, in a nutshell, what he wanted to do with Dune, um, so I guess it, in 1971, he, this guy directed a movie called El Topo. Uh, that was like it was like a one, not a one hit wonder. He came right out of the gate swinging, and it was like it became like an instant cult classic. I've never seen it. Um, and then he followed that up two years later with The Holy Mountain in 1973, which is also like instant cult classic. And it's like I've hmm. I've heard uh, chatter on it in the background, and I definitely after watching this, I want to definitely start to round out some of his catalog but um so then in 75 he this guy's kind of a a character but he's also like this cavalier like he was born in chile so he's uh hispanic 
but he speaks French like almost exclusively. Like every interview that I saw him in and uh, another documentary, he speaks in French because I think when he was like in his 20s, he moved to France and he kind of honed his craft there for a lot of years. Um, and then he's done stuff in Mexico, like exclusively. Like I think he did El Topo in Mexico as well. He did this film uh, all on location in, in Mexico. Um so he's kind of, he's definitely like a, a Renaissance kind of like he speaks multiple languages. He's kind of like a, an oddball dude with some, some, some weird uh, sensibilities. But, um, uh, so Dune came across his desk and he wanted to, he wanted it to star Orson Welles and the painter Salvador Dali. Uh, and he wanted it to be scored by Pink Floyd. And he was also going to bring together, uh, HR Geiger, Giger, uh, Dan O'Bannon, and Jean Mobius Girard, uh, who was a big influence in like uh, for like Ridley Scott and like Blade Runner, like that dystopian kind of cyberpunk uh, aesthetic. So like rogues that guy. fucking Damn. stew just sounds wild as shit. Yeah. Speaking of I'm cocaine so fueled, so Jesus, that's what, <laughs> that's what that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you could stop at cocaine. I think you got to go even, you got to like have a stack, a rotating door of different. Yeah. <laughs> that's like their baseline is cocaine. <laughs> yeah. That's coffee just, get, that's coffee. Yeah. That's coffee in the morning. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was interesting that off of the implosion of like his, I guess with Dune, he, he started having even more wild ideas and it just became over bloated. And like, they were like, you know, the budget you'll need, to make this will never happen. There was a lot of other controversy tied with it. So he never ended up doing Dune, but out of the ashes of this, uh, HR Giger and Dan O'Bannon, uh, connected on, and they went on to make alien or work together on alien in 79. So this is all in like a four to five year period from like 75 to 79. He was trying to get Dune made with his specific vision, which sounds batshit crazy. Um, a couple quotes from this guy, uh, personal quotes from Jodorowsky that I thought were pretty interesting too. Uh, and kind of like his cocksure kind of like, like ballsy kind of persona. Um, he said, uh, most directors make films with their eyes. I make films with my balls. <laughs> I ask of a film, what most North Americans ask of psychedelic drugs. Uh, I don't live in France. I live in myself. Oh my God. Like, I hate, I hate this guy. This, this one, yeah, I don't think you're gonna like and hate him simultaneously. It's <laughs> yes. the greatest dichotomy of my I life. I guess it just depends on if you if you met him, like how seriously he takes himself. If if he if he knows like he's kind of like a blowhard, that's part yeah, of the thing. He's playing the game. Yeah, then then that's yeah. fine. But if, if but if he's so up, but if his he's own really ass, like. Yeah, if he's really up his own ass like this, then yeah, fuck you. But honestly, so if you can't tell, it's the it's no different. <laughs> so like, who knows? Um, who knows if Warhol's that self aware? I think so, but maybe not. Um, you can never tell like, what what's going through someone's viewfinder. But but I love like when people like have that sort of like fucking batshit way of thinking because sometimes it's kind of, can be kind of illuminating, and when it's not, it's like you're out of your fucking mind. I love yeah. it. It's in, it's entertaining <laughs> either way. That's for sure. Yeah. The this other one that, that it might make it or break it for you then, Steve. He said it like uh commenting on his first film, which shot him 
to, you know, stardom and all these other uh, opportunities. He said, if you are great, El Topo, his first movie, is a great picture. If you are limited, El Topo is limited. <laughs> that's some Heaven's Gate horse shit. Oh, my God. That's not. That's, that's not a thing. You can't. <laughs> well, if you're cool, you'll like my movies. But if not, you can blow it. Yeah. Ultimate fucking, fucking Trump card. Get out of jail free. Dude, that's like my wife, dude. Anytime she wants to say something hurtful, she can. And she's like, oh, I'm just joking. Fuck you. <laughs> um, One last one from him, because I don't know if this is like him and his flights of fancy and buying into his own bullshit and up his own ass, or if there's some truth behind this, but it, it sounds wild. Uh, he says, in the world, what you do has a value, but what you don't do also has value. For me, Dune was a dream, a big dream. It's a dream that I intended to do, which is good. When we didn't make the picture, Dan O'Bannon needed to be intern in a men mental institution for two years because he didn't get to do it. But when he came out, he wrote the script for Alien. Who would believe that? But it's true. Is it true? I don't know. But that's one of those things. Like, is that him just buying into his own shit and just like spouting his shooting his mouth off? But if I'm true, that's that's wild too. I'm reminded of the Key and Peel sketch where they have out outcast reunion at a coffee shop. Have you seen this? Where I don't think I've seen that sketch. Big boys no. just like getting a coffee and then like Andre three thousand like skips in dressed as Peter fucking Pan. He's like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like that's that's how I see this man is <laughs> the Peter Pan key and peel version of Andre three thousand. Just like, oh my god, I knew you were gonna say some dumb bullshit like that. Yeah. That show, <laughs> that show is underrated. That is a very yeah. funny show. It is a great yes, show. Yes, it is. It's crazy, like I feel like people that didn't that weren't there at the time and now both of their popularity and their stars kind of risen people yeah. going back to it and seeing how like you know uh forward thinking and and like just like nailing it they were yeah like some some of my favorite one you know there's like the i was like bitch you know all that sure. stuff and yeah. the, the bruce willis that's my shit and like mm -hmm. like the hotel I mean, concierges but there's a lot of other ones that like skits in there that are fucking really good I know they've gotten it. Like, like they've gotten in a little bit of trouble lately because they did one about a slave auction. That was, it was so. Dude, funny, that one but. was hilarious. The one where uh, I think it was Key, and he's like, "Was it him or Peel?" He's and they're at like a uh, the um, fuck, what is it? They're like at a Confederate like uh, uh, reenactment. And they're playing no, slaves. That, that's different. What you're talking about is oh, something okay. different. He's like, "Don't put the whip on us, Massa." Yeah, that's also hilarious. But wait, but this this was an episode where they were getting outbid by like super scrawny like or fat guys, and they're like, "Come on, I know we're worth more than that guy." Oh but, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's mean, an auction block gag. I remember that one. Yeah, I okay. mean, I think my favorite Key and Peel sketch of all time is the insult comic one. If you've seen that one, uh uh. So Key, I'm sure I have, but I can't think. Of it's so funny. If you look up Key and Peel insult comic, the the premise is Key is a is a guy who's on stage who's just roasting audience members and then he see, he sees a guy in the in the crowd peel who's a burn victim and he he passes oh, yeah. he passes over him because he doesn't want to kick a guy who's down <laughs> but peel has like one of those voice modulator things and he's like oh yeah do me and yeah yeah <laughs> if you haven't seen it look it up it's so fucking funny i've probably watched it a hundred thousand times 
that one's great. I love any of the horror centric ones for obvious reasons. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another one I saw that was really good. Was like where he played the uh, Peel played the bully. He's like, I'm gonna go home and and uh, and take take all this pain that I've internalized from my father beating me out on my dog. Yeah. Give me that. You know, like he's like, <laughs> like really, he's like psychoanalyzing himself while he's bullying somebody. That shit was fucking hilarious. Like really like ahead of its, it's time. Show. Or, it's it, show. Uh, if either of you guys are Bo Burnham fans, he's in the, uh, acapella. I think group Randy one. is for sure. That one is so I, funny. I wasn't when I, I have, I've become one, but I don't think I was when I watched that show actively. So I'll have to check that out. I think it was just like one little sketch he was in where there's an acapella mm-hmm. group, but yeah. So yeah, he, he's good. Nice way to end does. the Santa Sangre episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A long talk about our Ske- favorite Key and Peele sketch. sketch yeah. How do we get from <laughs> here to this stepping stone? Um, uh, I know we've kind of broke format the last few episodes. We haven't had any colloquialisms, but sometimes we do uh, a colloquial corner because I'm a big fan of like phrases and idioms. Uh, I didn't ask you for one ahead of time, but is there anything that's really tickling your fancy or something that's grating on you that you're hearing the kids say these days or any kind of uh, like your favorite one liner or Steve, do you have anything recently that you've become aware of? I was bitching to you about something last time before we started recording. Do you remember what it was? No. It was it was some phrase that I had heard that was chapping my dick, and you're like, "Oh, you should save it for the colloquial corner." But damn it, I don't. <laughs> well, damn, I wish you could remember because I can't think of one. So. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm in a corporate job, so a lot of what I hear is like just corporate speak bullshit, right? More than it is kids bullshit because yeah. I don't hang around with kids and um. Uh, perennially old so <laughs> i think yeah. that like I, I can't think of one off the top of my head though even that's just like oh what was there was one today that was like what does this mean exactly <laughs> um i can't think of it now I'll, I'll, if i think of it before you sign off then i'll, I'll yell it really loudly yeah the, the, the okay. corporate ones are fun like instead of co-workers or it's like um please make sure to inform all stakeholders or you know, just oh, like stakeholders yeah. like that. in the past few years. Fuck. I hate uh, the word ideate more than I just about <laughs> anything. Like, that's not that's not a word, man. I, if, even if it's a word, it's not a word. Not the way you're using it. You're using it badly. It's Dude. Just, I don't know, man. I just thought of one, too, along those lines. Mindshare. Mindshare. That one, oh. for some reason, fucking chaps my ass, too. I don't think I've heard that one for, uh, legitimately used. Just mocked. <laughs> yeah. What was I don't know the context, but it was like, yeah, we'll get together and, you know, maybe through the process, you know, we get into the the mind share. Something will come out of this. Like, yeah, fuck that. I don't know, man. Fucking corporate (laughs) speak. It's it's just as bad as teenage speak. Like, or like, you know, it's just as frivolous and like performative and pointless. It's just for money this time. (laughs) So I guess it's better. I don't think so, but. This actually made me just think of uh, one of my favorite George Carlin uh, bits. I know he's a controversial character, but um, and I mean, there's something to be said for some euphemisms because we've come a long way. But he has one bit about euphemisms that's really fucking good. And I, I can't recite it because he's such like a wordsmith, you know, but he talks <laughs> about 
And I think this is like in the eighties, you know, so he's even, it's even more prescient now when you go back and, and listen to him because it's like, it's where we are. It's almost getting on some uh, levels in some areas. It's getting to the point where we're going to revert all, it's going to boomerang around to like base level jargon. But if you, if you're interested, if you're a fan of George Carlin, I implore you to like, if you just type in like George Carlin, on euphemisms he's got a he's got a really good like blistering five minute fucking stream of consciousness like that's one thing after doing the podcast for a little bit like having a greater respect for people that can carry on a conversation and like have like like i'm a much better writer when i have time to sit and think about things i sound like i'm more well spoken than i am because in the moment like I have moments where like, I know my vocabulary is better than this, but I, I say, Oh damn. And it's like, <laughs> fuck. Like you, when you're having shower thoughts later of like when you could have burned someone really bad and then you think oh, about yeah. it and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I could have nailed him with that. <laughs> yeah, man. Then you just have to have the fantasy of it. And it, oh man, yeah, there's, there's no sadder <laughs> fantasy than a burns. I should have made fantasy. <laughs> like wall shampoo. If that's getting your jollies hair. off, you like, man, just go jerk off or something. Cause you, you need something else. Well, you already are at that point. That's yeah. Essentially you are, but do it the way the Lord intended, please. <laughs> well, and also fantasizing hands. about how hard it would have landed. Like, Oh man, no, I would have, I would have delivered this line, and I would have, they would have had this nothing joke would have to say. Killed in Everyone would have clapped. Yeah, <laughs> I got one thing for you, Steve. Real quick, right before this, I was watching uh, an episode of Friends, but before I put the kids down, and the uh, it was uh, Monica wanted to watch Entertainment Tonight, and Ross is like, "Tough noogies, we're watching Predators of the Serengeti." Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. <laughs> Dude. Oh man, that one got me. Tough noogies. Tough noogies. <laughs> man, the schwimmerism of it all. Steve and I are are pretty big fans of the old the old friends. Hey. Him by choice. We all have our parts, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We all got our cross to bear. Um, okay. Uh I don't have any other reviews or any kind of like uh state of the pod kind of stuff. But um, if you want to reach out to us, let us know if, if you've seen Son of Sangre before, if you have anything to add, uh, want to reach out, you can hit us up at wax at waxing the or either of our socials. Instagram is waxing the porpoise and Twitter is at waxing the porp. Uh, do either of you guys have any final thoughts or anything that after we've kind of marinated in it about Son of Sangre? The only thing I can say is I can't think of another movie in my entire life where both mimes and clowns were heroes. So good on this movie for breaking the mold. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I, I struggle to think as well. The only thing with those clowns, I thought their clown makeup was pretty rad. Like it wasn't like your stock clown. Like they had some like they had some funky flavors. Like the orange the orange faced clown with like the fucking slits. In the eyes, I thought was especially dope, and it reminded me of uh, Modern Family when Cam's going over clowning and like that whole <laughs> subgenre, like the different kinds of clowns. Like, yeah, uh, that's such a good episode. Um, I'm a latecomer yeah. to to Modern Family, but that shit, that's like one of those things. Like, you, I remember you used to watch that while it was on, Steve. 
And I was like, yeah, fuck that show. I'll never watch that. And now I'm like, hey, have it, you ever heard of Modern? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty dope. It, I heard uh, the kids watch this Modern Family. It fell off towards <laughs> the end. I think. Did it? I don't, I don't even think we finished the last three or four seasons. I mean, it's like we've talked about multiple times. These shows that are successful, yeah, they're like, we're just going to fucking run it until the wheels fall off. Quality yeah. be damned. And. Yeah, the first few seasons we we really liked, but then it just got. I mean, how do you keep it going for that long and still be funny? But, yeah. I'll tell you how you be always sunny in Philadelphia. That's the only answer. Dude, that is, where like that the is long, such a good the long, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only example because that's like built into the DNA that they are sitcom characters. And the saddest thing in the world is when a sitcom character has outstayed its logical welcome. Like, why is this character not in college? Or why is this person living with their parents? Or whatever. That's, I think, what happened with Modern Family. But with Always Sunny, it's perfect. Because those people should never succeed. Yeah, (laughs) They should be wallowing in their own filth. That's their point. Well, and and I I bet it's because they have the most control over the show. So And they're funny people. Mm. So they can just keep making funny shit where... You know, the, these yeah. huge network shows, the bigger it gets, the more outside, unfucking funny people get involved. And they're like, well, what if mm-hmm. what if Claire got a job at a Quiznos? Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't that be funny? It's like, no, it's not fucking funny. Just <laughs> let the funny people make. Yeah. yeah. Always Sunny is a great example. That show is so What if this rich girl got a job making sandwiches? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me a check. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can even see that now in like it's it's always sunny. They came together for their own podcast and they go back retro through like their their old seasons and like working through those and there's still even, you know, meat on the bone and like, you know, like bringing up background and and inside stuff when they were and that shit's funny as hell. I'm usually like recently I'm kind of jaded on like how it seems like more and more eight or nine years after it's become popular. Now there's way more celebrities getting into the podcast game. And like, <laughs> it's like an easy, super easy transition. Cause you have like the built-in fan base and everything, but some of them I let slide. Like, like to me, like that one's a really good one. And then the one that, um, last week, I can't remember who was talking about it. Uh, the fly on the wall, or maybe it was a couple episodes ago with, uh, Dana Carvey and, uh, David Spade. Mm. have their own podcast called fly on the wall. And I've listened to a couple episodes of that and they're super funny. I think Naderade was talking about it, how like they'll talk about like how like present day shit, like how John Lovitz was on like, uh, he had like court seats to like a Knicks game and he texts them like my feet are on the floor. Like (laughs) (laughs) jealous. Like, but he did it in like a Lovitz voice that he just nailed. That was hilarious. Like love, love it. Yeah. Um, if you like, I mean, I don't. I only watch. A, there are very few podcasts I watch or listen to. The Sunny one I do watch occasionally, and then what was the other one that I was just going to bring up? Oh, I also like celebrities doing it that are relatively recent to it. Is Tim Heidecker's podcast is pretty fucking hilarious? That's a sardonic motherfucker. Yeah, that that's a guy I've never got into, and he's one of the people. He's like one of those kind of people that frustrates me because I can never know when he's How serious being he is? real. <laughs> And that, well, that's a real problem for me. Like I, I have, tr- I have trouble reconciling that in my mind, those kinds of people. Sometimes those kinds of people are really interesting to me, mm-hmm. but there's a certain brand where if I can't figure out 
the line of when they're the character or when they're being real, it just it frustrates me to no end. I get that. I think if you, if you want to see Tim at probably his most normal, that's probably the venue for it. Okay. Um, I don't think he typically goes. Uh, I think it's just called. Uh, oh, it's called Office Hours with Tim po- Tim Heidecker. Uh, so it's pretty good. I think I like that have, other dude that he pals around with that has his own show. I can't remember his fucking name, but it's real it popular Vic on Burger Netflix. Or, oh, uh, what is it called on Netflix? I think oh, his name's it, Tim. Yeah, Tim Robinson. Tim, Tim yeah, Robinson? that's yeah. That guy's funny. Yeah. I've seen him in stuff that, that I thought was really funny, and uh, the Eric guy. I've seen him Eric in other stuff separated from Heidecker. The I, I can't remember his last name. Dude, really? Like that big yeah. ass. You that and big ass dude. You and Tim look like you could be brothers. Have you ever seen that before? Who me Tim Heidecker? Or I, Andy? God, that's a huge insult to poor Tim. But uh, thank you. <laughs> Wait, maybe it's just the picture I'm looking at. But I don't know. He's much thinner than I am typically, for one. But yeah, I'll take. He kind of fluctuates. He's like a Ricky Gervais. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, he's he's been bigger. He's been smaller. I think he's on the smaller side now, but. I'll take it. Yeah, he's he's always one of those ones that's like in a kind of a weird gray area. Like, yeah. All right, I'm going to share my screen real quick. Tell me these guys, okay. maybe not brothers, but cousins. Is that just me? No, hang on. I'm not. I don't I'm see not it. seeing. Oh, hang on. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, fuck me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe if you I'm had a... glasses on, it might be a little bit closer. And you're talking about Randy or me? I'm a, our skin, or I'm, both I'm of our skins are pasty whites. So. I'm talking Randy. Not you, buddy. Okay. That's fucking interesting, man. That's fucking interesting. <laughs> All right. Speaking of a white Russian. Uh, well, before we get out of here, do you want to plug Straight Chilling one more time before we call sure. it a day? Randy? Yeah, Straight, Straight Chilling Podcast. We do weekly horror movie reviews. We've been doing it for a long time. It's very unserious, but a lot of fun, I'm told. Um, certainly fun for me because I don't have to listen to it. I just have to participate <laughs> in it. Um, yeah, check it out. Um, I don't know what else to say, but there you go. Yeah, well, uh, they do all kinds of stuff. They have uh, for people that are Patreon uh, or patrons. Uh, there's all kinds of mini casts that they have. Uh, they do a lot of cool stuff outside of the normal show. I've been listening since like 2017, 2018 ish. So like. When I've had when Bob and Soju came in on, came on and you coming on now it's it's like come full circle like always wanting to like do a podcast and then like uh, listening to your guys' show and becoming part of like the community that have kind of through osmosis or or like fl- moths to a flame that have been attracted to your show uh, it's 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 been a really cool experience like I mean. Steve, by proxy, too, we've gone on ghoulish now with, like, Logan, Naderade, and Nate Part 2, and we've been on a cut above a couple times, had you guys come on. It's just a really cool um, vibe and, and a really cool community that has, whether intended or not, has come about. Uh, so like I said, this is kind of full circle and I tried not to, uh, fangirl too hard. <laughs> and I think now I'm kind of, now that we've, we've gone through 50 episodes, like it's, it's easier to temper that, but, uh, it's been super cool. Nonetheless, hearing your insights and, and on this film in particular, it was, this was a super fun time for me. So I appreciate you coming on 
check out straight chilling wherever you get your podcasts they're all over youtube they do cool shit even like fucking like tiki themed cocktail <laughs> drinks to like to films and just like all kinds of cool shit um surrounding the show so check them out too much shit <laughs> thanks dude <laughs> you're like one of the unsung heroes too with like the uh you know all the the graphic elements that you that you contribute to the show and like all like i got almost every one of the shirts that you guys have put out that are super dope like one of my favorites the santanic panic um yeah one of like i think three purchases of that particular (laughs) i appreciate it again randy's being modest so don't don't i actually don't know if that's far from the truth let me be real (laughs) but i'm not even being sarcastic when i say that but yeah i i i I do really appreciate all that, man. It's very sweetie to say, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we have this crazy community that popped up and I'm certainly glad that people have recognized by listening to our show that the bar for entry in podcasting is very low. So very easy to clear, um, get in there, get your, get your dumb shit out there. Like we did. That's what I suggest. Yeah. I mean, even, even if for nothing else, just to try it, if you're on the fence, like I was on the fence for a lot of years and just kind of jumped into it. And if nothing else, like I don't have any illusions about this, like making money off of it or anything like that, but That's it's, just, it's, it's a really cool way to keep connected with people and it like a, a, a reason to get on the horn every week and like kind of to spice it up. And then all the things that have sprouted off from it and meeting new people like remotely and and through the pandemic, that was like a real popular thing. People starting a podcast and um, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't want to feed into that trend, but it's been, it's been a really cool experience and thing to, to do and, and look forward to on a weekly basis. So anyway, I'm rambling. So that's time for, and I know Steve, you got the look in your eye. It's Pacific time. It's dinner time. So we got, we got to get going here. Um, I agree with final everything thoughts? you said. Uh, <laughs> in particular, the dinner comment. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. It's, it's good to have a reason to get together with people and Randall, it was great to have you. Love to have you back. Thank you, man. In, indeed. Yeah. Good times had by all for sure. So yeah. Thanks again, quick, Randy. Quick question for Jim. Of the, you guys, you said you had 800 episodes or 500 episodes. What was it? You have 176,000. I think you guys are on like thousand episodes. Um, fuck, is it like 410 or 415 now? 415 is what we're going into, I think, this week. Okay. So I was thinking it was like eight years or something worth. Yeah. There were some gaps. So, like, I think we started in 2016 or 17. yeah, Jim. Jim was in there pretty early. Okay, um, I know that much, but my memory is terrible, so it was somewhere in that range. I think for like the last four or five years, you guys have done one without fail every week, so it stacks up to like fifty-two a year. So <laughs> let me tell you, there's some vacation time coming up that we have to prepare for by not having evenings available. So I'm so <laughs> glad that that's appreciated because scheduling is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> no, dude, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to navigate, like, especially when you have other guests and stuff on and like keeping like that, that regiment each week, you know, uh, I'm sure there's times when it feels like it's easier um, because you have that regiment, but I mean, it's still, there's still a grind associated with it. But for me, this is like having the conversations and, and things that, that sprout out organically. And when you're in the moment are what make it all worth it. So, um, yeah, I mean that like, not only that, like 
I'm a fan of the show, but just like the testament of like you guys sticking to it like every day through or every week through holidays and like planning ahead and like banking episodes. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it in the background than you would think. Um, and then, yeah, that's just a testament to like the, the consistency level and you guys always getting better and things like that. Like it's, it's, it's no small feat you know so i really appreciate it and i i I can't ask you to continue to fluff me any further that's that's, that's just (laughs) i I think we're we're near climax so we should be (laughs) all right um (laughs) uh cool thanks man again really appreciate you coming on it's been a been a real treat for sure yeah been a treat for me too thanks guys booyah uh next week what are we doing oh uh Speaking of which, we're going to have Thon on from uh, Ghoulish Uni because I guess he's been balls deep in the uh, Richard Murdaugh uh, stuff. And now that that's come to a close and we've had time for it to marinate a little bit, uh, we're going to do just a part two, just kind of follow up and and uh, rap about our thoughts about the guilty verdict and whether or not the prosecution held up their end of the bargain and uh, whatever else comes out of that. So, yeah, we'll be talking part two, Murdaugh next week um and then this with a with a vote of yes from steve which i'm still actually pretty shocked that that you dug on this film and i'm glad uh puts us at an 86.1 approval rate so far so let the good times roll i'm on i'm on a hot streak here so um (laughs) (laughs) which is subject to change for sure but uh because i mean the longer we keep doing this the more oddball shit i'm gonna start i'm gonna keep picking so it's the law of big numbers, man. The more you do, the more there's definitely more bad movies than good. So it's true. <laughs> we, I mean, we haven't even touched a trauma film. So, but Steve's a real card too. There's been times when I'm just like, I'm like, oh yeah, no, no doubter, and it's just like, no, nah, that movie sucked. So <laughs> that makes it interesting too. So cool. Can't so be. yeah, thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, meet us back next week. Same place, same time. Uh, in case they don't see you, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Goodbye. Goodbye.